As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. The Athletic. Hello and welcome to The View from the Lane, the Tottenham Hotspur podcast from The Athletic. I'm Danny Kelly and joining me today are The Athletic's Jack Pitbrook and James Moore. I hope to be discussing Tottenham's 3-0 victory over Arsenal in the North London derby. No such joy is to be had. So we'll be discussing the North London derby postponement very shortly and in depth and I hope with a certain amount of seriousness. But first Jack, let's start with a bizarre incident in the African Cup of Nations involving a former Spurs player. I, I laughed out loud at the television. Well, actually, Danny, it was an incident involving two former Spurs players. Mm. So this was yesterday evening at about... It was kind of towards the end of when the Spurs game would have been. So I was watching ah. uh, one Sky Sports channel showed a compilation of Harry all of Harry Kane's goals in the Premier League for Spurs, which was really good. Then I switched over to Cote d'Ivoire, Sierra Leone, live from Douala. And Cote d'Ivoire were 2-1 up in about the 94th minute. And one of the Cote d'Ivoire defenders, I think, headed the ball back to the keeper, Badri Ali Sangari, who tried to collect the ball, but the pitch was terrible. And yeah. in sliding to try and collect the ball, he managed to, he kind of got his knees caught in the pitch, tumbled over, injured himself, spilled the ball. The ball was picked up by Sierra Leone's Stephen Colker, formerly a Tom Hotspur. Who, former former England goal scorer. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Now playing at the at Cannes for Sierra Leone. He crossed the ball. Al Haji Kamara kind of slipped, I think, on the on the bad pitch, but managed to regain his footing cleverly, stuck the ball in. Sierra Leone equalised. It was a really good finish because he fell over, managed to get back on his feet and, and lifted it over the defender on the line. Made it two all. But then uh, Cote d'Ivoire had already made all five of their subs and they needed someone to go in goal for the what remained of stoppage time. And who should they choose but Serge Aurier? Brilliant. And so for the last minute or two, uh, down to 10 men, uh, Cote d'Ivoire had Aurier in goal. And Sierra Leone put a few attacks together. I think they forced a corner, which was headed away at the near post. So Aurier didn't have any actual goalkeeping to do. But it was exciting. And I was thinking, I'd love to see him make a save. Wouldn't it? Hold on, hold on, hold on. So you're saying to me, 
the Ivory Coast, Cote d'Ivoire, as you say, they had an injury and they didn't call the game off. Yeah. What? They That's had right. every, That's every right. Why did they not they call the game off? Absolutely. Um, very quickly before, you, before I ruin uh, James's lovely link there between the fun of Serge Ario being in goal and the postponement of North London derby, I will make the point, of course, people who know me know that I'm tremendously industrious about some things and often very lazy about others. I'm supporting Cote d'Ivoire, as I always do in tournaments, um, because all I have to do is turn my Republic of Ireland flag upside down, and I'm already a supporter of that country. Um, it's a very quick fix, and uh, well done, Serge, and we're going to make it through to the next round. All right, no other sport I can see, major sport in the world, is struggling to deal with COVID at the moment in terms of abandoning matches. In the four other major leagues in Europe, one game has been called off because of COVID and its attendant and other attendant issues. Why? Somebody explain to me. Um, we're not blaming Arsenal here. Of course, that's the prelude to blaming Arsenal. That's, that's perfectly okay. Jack, maybe you could, you could come in off your medium run-up and tell me, how have we got to a situation now where not only can you just say, oh, I've got some players suspended and some of them are not feeling very well and one of them's got to visit his auntie in Croydon and get the game called off. But the Premier League then make the decisions without explaining in detail why they're doing so, thus encouraging the next spurious claim. Yeah, so I think there's basically two issues here, the f- which ultimately come down to the fact that the Premier League has, I think, in an attempt to be flexible and helpful, has set the bar far too low for a game to be postponed. The first thing is that to be able to play the game, you have to have 13 outfield players fit to play and a goalkeeper. That is the level that the Premier League has set. Mm-hmm. And many, you know, I think if this would have been, I think, the 20th game to have been called off from a team not being able to fulfil this criteria. The second issue here, and this I think dates back to when Leicester City had their game called off Everton in December, is that unavailabilities that are not COVID can count towards this. Although these rules were conceived for clubs who had a big wave of Omicron or previously or other previous variants ripping through them, which is obviously very contagious. And so that's why the rules were initially come up with. But effectively, the Premier League relaxed the rules by saying that other unavailabilities would also be relevant to these decisions. Now, that means, in the case of Leicester City, if you've got a player playing at Cannes, then that counts towards one of your unavailable players, or rather, other unavailabilities are taken into account, basically. And this means that now I think it's much easier for a game not to be played, because it's not just simply a case of, oh, we've got COVID sweeping through our squad, for example, like Tottenham had in in early December, but rather a combination of factors, one of which being COVID, if you've got a few injuries, a few players at Cannes, a few players who've been loaned out or whatever else, or suspended, then all of these things in combination, if you still can't meet the 13 plus one criteria, the game is off. So basically, it's become much easier for a game to be postponed than it was when when these rules were first drawn up. Okay, that's reasonable. And I'll come back to you about some of the things I think have exacerbated that situation. Um, James, we don't want to appear too reasonable here. Were you angry that Spurs' game against Arsenal was called off? Yeah, yeah, I was, yeah. I mean, first, it wasn't really a surprise. I think the second... Uh, who, who was it went off early for Arsenal on Thursday night? Chambers came on. Who did he come on for? They had an injury earlier in that game anyway. Someone mm-hmm. went off injured and Chambers came on. So it kind of felt... 
this was going to be a problem. You know, they had four players away at AFCON. Later in that game, obviously, they get the suspension as well. Clearly, they have at least one COVID case. And I think that's out there that that's Odegaard, isn't it? I think that that's out there. I think yeah. we can say that. Or it was now. I mean, we're back in training as of today, I believe. They've got another one now subsequent to the game being called off. Just sure. So, yeah, that, that, I think yeah. On, on, in their test on Saturday, they got another one. And, they, you know, they have injuries as well. I think they're three or four players with injuries. Supposedly a couple of knocks, I think, from that game on Thursday night as well. As, you know, as I mentioned, someone went off. But they've got a big squad. <laughs> and they sent two players out on loan in the week before that game. Balligan to Middlesbrough and Maitland-Niles to Roma. I mean, I think when those two players were sent out, they were probably aware they had four players off at AFCON. And mm-hmm. they probably realised that there was a global pandemic that uh, was threatening Premier League games at that point. I, I suspect they probably realised that. So it does seem odd to me that they got themselves in a position where they didn't have enough players to play that game at that stage. <laughs> I'm sure that it's not necessarily about who was missing, but the number. But it does seem like if you've loaned two players out that close to a game like that, when you know you've got when you know you've got you know you've got four players during the Afcon. Uh, are missing for Afghan, and there's a possibility of players getting COVID, and they had a couple of injuries before that. Uh, that does seem like quite poor planning to me. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't think this this outcome outcome was entirely inconceivable at the point that they did that. I'm not suggesting I'm not suggesting you know that they've they've done that that they've been clever and done that on purpose, but it does seem to me like a bit of an oversight that you would loan two players out, and then sure enough, you find yourself without without enough players in the squad. I mean, obviously, it's all a massive grey area mm. because the reality is with player injuries. Uh, you know as well as I do that players will play with injuries all the time. And in, especially in a big London derby, you know, you'll see players... We would have been... If you had seen the team news before the game and player X and player Y for Arsenal were injury doubts, you and I would have been sat there saying, ah, oh, he'll be back. He'll, typical, isn't it? He'll be back just in time to play against Spurs. And we, you see that all the time. And I'm sure, you know, if it had been Harry Kane of a knock and mm. we know Harry Kane has had a few knocks down the years uh, and he'd have been half fit, I'm sure Arsenal fans would have been... Would have been would have been expecting Kane to suddenly make a miraculous recovery and be fit for the game in, in other circumstances. But now, you know, where injuries are a bit of a grey area, there's no, it's not a football manager. It's not red inge, orange inge, no inge. It's like a sliding scale. It's way more complex than that. Uh, and players will play with injuries all the time. And it doesn't take much. And I'm not saying this is necessarily just applies to Arsenal because this will have happened with the other games that have been off as well. Pl- players will have injuries that perhaps they would have been able to play and in and in the circumstances uh, uh, when there's a possibility of getting game off which doesn't suit you, you can say, "Well, this player is injured," and that's not wrong because the player is injured. But in normal circumstances, you might play the player. And it's not it's not disingenuous to say that a player is not fit because they're not fully fit. But if you're having to play the game, I'm sure those players could play. Jack, let me come back to one of the reasons why the games aren't being postponed in other countries is is that they're allowing young players to play. Under-21 players are not allowed to play unless they've got four or five, I can't remember the number, appearances under their belt in the Premier League. Some of these footballers... Oh, sorry, Danny, tw- just to correct you, mm, yeah. they are allowed to play, but they don't count as one of the experienced first-teamers who can count up towards the number of 13 outfield players. The problem with that is that we see a situation where, therefore, you can't have, like in Germany, Bayern Munich played two 16-year-olds the other day. They lost one of the games, by, by all means, but they seem determined to get through the games. And it's as though these under 21, some of whom are 22 years of age and earning, earning 35 grand a week. Why, are they, why have they made this distinction? Because it's that that differentiates the Premier League rules from everywhere else. Yeah, this I think is one of the main problems with the Premier League rules as they currently stand, is that 
they don't encourage teams to play the young players in place of unavailable senior players, which is what I think should be should be the way it works. You know, Arsenal have a great academy, has produced lots of good players. The Arsenal under-23s played on, on Friday night. They played against West Ham and drew one all. And so if they can put out a team of what I imagine to be very talented, well-trained young players who Arsenal will have spent years and millions of pounds developing... I don't understand why those players could not have made up the Arsenal first team on Sunday. I mean, of course they could. Leeds United beat West Ham yesterday afternoon. They brought on two teenagers from the bench, and, and, and you know that wasn't that wouldn't have been what Marcelo Bielsa would have ideally done. But equally, Bielsa felt an obligation to the competition to play God the game. God bless Senior Bielsa. What and a man also he to is. his young, and also to his young players to give them a chance. And that's what that that's one of the reasons why I think it's so frustrating to see Arsenal not take the opportunity to play their young players and to get the game postponed instead. Well look, I mean let's look at an example from last season. I tweeted this on, on Saturday before the game was off. And this is not a game that uh, the team in question won. In fact it was a game that they lost nine nil. But Southampton at Old Trafford last February, I think it was the start of February, they had a massive injury crisis. They had loads of players missing. I think they had one COVID case at that point, but a lot of injuries. So they came at Old Trafford that they lost 9-0. In their starting 11, they had a 19-year-old making his debut, his Premier League debut. He was certain off after two minutes. Didn't go so great. Another 20-year-old playing his second Premier League game, his first Premier League game for about four years or three years, I think. On the bench, had two goalkeepers out of the nine players on the bench. Nathan Redmond, fine, fair enough. Two kids who had 91 Premier League minutes between them and another four kids who had no Premier League experience at all. And that happened a year ago. And no no one's complained that Southampton shouldn't have had to play that game and that it was a complete, you know, it was a non-sporting event because Southampton weren't at full strength. People were taking the piss out of Southampton for losing a game 9-0 again. The reason I mention this and the reason I tweeted this on Saturday is it, it shows you that these things happen in normal, t- non-pandemic times. Yeah. They had one player at that point with COVID, right? Arsenal at the point that they were trying to get the game called up had one player with COVID. We know he subsequently found a second case, which may or may not have moved a dial after that. Who knows? The clubs will be... And again, this is Premier League more than Arsenal, obviously. And Premier League have set the last, the standard, as, as Jack said, they've set the bar so low that we're able to get these games off where clubs only have one COVID case and... You know, in normal circumstances, if this game had been played two years ago or three years ago when the last AFCON was, and asked if Arsenal had four players away at AFCON and X injuries and one suspension, they wouldn't have dreamed of having the game off. It's just crazy that, that, that the bar has moved because of the pandemic, when in reality that hasn't had as big a bearing on their issues as everything else. I think what makes this so unprecedented and so worrying is that it is like an absolutely like bedrock part of competitive sport that teams play the games as they are scheduled, not at their convenience. Now, I appreciate that COVID is a unique thing, which means that if you have a virus ripping through your team and everyone is catching it from everyone else and you have to close the training ground, those are exceptional circumstances. But the Arsenal circumstances are not exceptional circumstances at all. They're the sort of thing that happens to a busy football team during a busy season. And if a, te- if a team is able to pull out of a game at short notice because it is inconvenient for them to play and that they don't want to play, then we have removed one of like the we have removed something which is utterly fundamental to organised sport. Like someone, someone who whose name I forget, I'm afraid, tweeted me about this the other day, and they were kind of take, they were kind of joking about it, and they said, 
Imagine if on the morning of the final of France 98, Brazil had, Brazil had said, I'm really sorry, FIFA, but Ronaldo's not right. Can we maybe come back next week? Like, it, it's ludicrous. It's utterly ludicrous that this can now be a consideration. This is an important point that Charlie made in his in the piece that he wrote this morning about the postponements, was this sense that some clubs feel that they are due a postponement. Like, they've seen other, they've seen other clubs use these rules to their benefit and think, you know what, we could do with a bit of that. So Arsenal had to play, when Arsenal lost at Brentford earlier in the season, they had lots of players unavailable through COVID. They're probably quite frustrated about how that went, given how given subsequent events. So maybe clubs will feel that way. And I'm sure they do. And, I'm, you know, whether or not we blame Arsenal for this decision is, you know, a whole, another set of arguments. But I do think that the more this, the more this rule is used in these kind of incredibly borderline cases like this one, the more everyone else will think you know what, I don't really, you know, our best player's got a bit of a knock or, you know, they will see that they can, not only is the bar low, but they can kind of drag it even lower if circumstances combine in the right way. And that, and that I think is why, even if the COVID situation in the UK is probably going to get less bad in the next month or so, I hope, fingers crossed, I think that the situation regarding these kind of postponements probably will get worse because teams can see you, you know, you're actually pushing against an open door with the Premier League, unfortunately. And I know I know, not the Premier League would say not every request has been accepted, but a lot of requests have been accepted. And why wouldn't the clubs just ask? I've seen quite a few people tweet off the back of this postponement that, or maybe it'll work in Spurs' favour because, you know, Arsenal will get some of their players back and, you know, some of those players they've got at AFCON won't be in the starting eleven. The Bemiang had lost his place in the team before, Spurs will get the two off. central defenders and Son and Reggie yeah. on back, yeah. Spurs will, get, Spurs will get those four players back, you know, who knows, maybe they'll sign a player in the transfer window before the end of the month and <laughs> yeah. you know, they might be in a stronger position by the time that game comes around. But that that, that might not happen. Like they could they could have more injuries by the time that comes around. They yep. could be the one with suspensions by the time that comes around. If Spurs have four or five players missing and Arsenal are in a much better state than they are now when this game comes around, whenever it is, and that's another problem when this game gets fitted in. By the way, all the other games Spurs have got to squeeze in. What are Spurs going to do? Are Spurs going to just take it and just play the game of a weakened team and potentially lose a massive game in terms of the battle and for the top four places? Because of the so-called medical confidentiality where we can't really see who has tested positive, who has tested negative, who has tested false positive. And what is to stop any club now just saying, I've got 15 players with slight ankle knocks? But this There's is the point. A, the Premier League can't test all those players for running ability. And so I never want to see, I never want to see Spurs take to the pitch again without Harry Kane up front fully fit. If you have to pretend they're all injured, pretend they're all injured. Get it called off. The thing is, I'm not, I'm generally, like generally in life, I am not, I'm slightly suspicious about people who use the kind of like slippery slope, thin end Mm -hmm. of the wedge argument, because I think often that's just not how the way, not, not the way the world works. And yeah, I think I think this is one of the rare cases, Danny, in which the the, the, the our old friend the slippery slope argument is actually relevant, like because yeah. because we've seen it happen, we've literally seen it happen over the course of the last two months, how the bar has been brought down like this, and I think it bodes pretty ominously for the course of the second half of the Premier League season. I, can, I mean, I can't believe that the Premier League have been daft enough to let this happen because they got through the much more difficult season last year with Delta, with the full lockdown and all the rest of it, without making their league look disorganised and stupid. And now, with a much less dangerous variant, as it's turned out, people didn't know that in November, obviously. I mean, the league is tremendously successful commercially. It looks like a mess here. It looks like a disorganised junk shop. 
And of course, what is the Premier League? It's just its members. At any given moment, it's the 20 teams who are in it. And it's only the permanent members, like the Security Council at the United Nations, that have any influence. And uh, I, 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 I don't understand. It's not an independent body, is it? No, it's a members club. And they're deciding on the, on the fate of their own members. And that's something that we, I mean, this is a kind of long-standing issue in English football, really, is that, you know, it's not like, you know, NFL with a commissioner or a sports league yeah. with a, or it's not really regulated effectively, the Premier League. The Premier League is just what the clubs want it to be. And that's why, you know, in disciplinary cases, for example, the Premier League very rarely rules against its biggest its biggest members because it is a members club. And in this kind of thing, like the rules have been devised by the clubs themselves. And effectively, the clubs handed themselves this power to be able to play games at their own convenience. But obviously it's had, whether it's an unintended or an intended consequence or not, we can argue about, but it has had the effect of really undermining the, you know, a big part of what makes competitive organised football work. So yeah, it's not a mess that I would have, I think any of us would have imagined happening a few months ago, but it is certainly a mess. Nothing's going to change now, is it? Because they're going to, they'll play the, you can't change the rules in the middle of the season thing. And they haven't got a scheduled meeting. So I think the second week of February. Yeah, 10th of February, I believe. Yeah. So hopefully, as we, as we all desperately hope, this wave of the, of the, of the COVID-19 variants kind of fades away we'll have less and less of this although i do think we're all right in saying people will have a very different view about their responsibility to fulfill fixtures following this um and in charlie eccleshare's piece james which i'm sure you um you polished up to make it as good as it is he does make the, the point that there is a great deal now of rancor and toxicity among the premier league clubs one against the other because of because people are finding different ways, and I'm, again, I'm not referring to one game here, they're finding different ways to make their schedule more comfortable. Yeah, I'm, and I'm not surprising, you know. We know from the statement that Spurs put out on Saturday that they're unhappy with uh, the way Arsenal have had this game postponed, and I think it's probably safe to assume that Arsenal were unhappy with the way that Liverpool had the first leg of that League Cup semi-final mm-hmm. postponed. And I'm sure between, well, I'm sure there have already been instances where clubs have felt their nose have been put out of joint and I'm sure there'll be many more to come as we now at the end of the season. I don't think, you know, there were a lot of Arsenal fans on Twitter bemoaning the fact that, this is just before Christmas, bemoaning the fact that Spurs had had a couple of games off and they'd gained this kind of pre-season, mid-season, mid-season, pre-season. They'd have a bit of a break and they'd be fresh and they could, you know, attack the second half of the season. People are mad, aren't they? But look, look at it now. Spurs have got four more games to squeeze in between now and the end of the season than West Ham have got, say. And of course, you know, one of them is this week and they will have had the weekend off. So in theory, they should be a bit fresher for that. And it sort of works out that the one afterwards is Chelsea away that they probably would have lost anyway. So actually, mm-hmm. it might not make that much of a difference. But there's still three more games, none of which have a date yet, by the way. Burnley was, was at the start of December or maybe even late November? Before It's before Omicron, wasn't it? The, with yeah, their, that was, the with sn- was Snowicron, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah, exactly, yeah. That hasn't got a date yet. We've not got a date for the Brighton game that was the middle of December yet. And obviously Arsenal now to squeeze in as well. That could be quite fractious. The, the organising that Arsenal game, what, exactly where that fits in the calendar, that is, that's going to be a real arm wrestle over that because exactly where that gets placed between away games and possible cup games of obviously that won't be a factor for Arsenal. Uh, that that could be really decisive. Like exa- Exactly where that squeezes in. And, and I don't imagine there's going to be too much... Too much slack given by either side in that particular particular conversation. And I mean, that could go on for weeks. And fans are the ones that have been 
mugged off here, you know, particularly people that have uh, that mm-hmm. have kind of planned to travel across the globe to be at the game. And I'm sure there would have been a lot of people in the away end as well, I'm sure, who would have had that in mind. And we're probably going to be waiting weeks before we find out when this game's going to be played. I know one person who flew from Malaysia to see the match. I mean, those things can happen, mm-hmm. you know, uh, and it could have been an entire sort of COVID 20 Arsenal players, 20 Spurs players, whoever got COVID. That was understandable. But I don't want to hear the people defending uh, the current movement of it just because it advances their team, whichever team that is. I don't want them to see them crying on Twitter the next time the television companies, for their convenience, moves a game to a time when nobody can get home, the away fans and all the rest of it. Either you're for the fans or you're against them and not tempering your view because it brings some tiny sliver of a percentage of advantage to your particular club. Sorry, Jack, I jumped in there ahead of you. Yeah, I was just going to say that, like you, I've seen people, I think I saw someone on Twitter who flew flew in from New York for this game. It was obviously very frustrating. I'm sure it's also it's also like the second time that Spurs have had a really, really late cancellation. Like, remember the, the last, I mean, the Burnley game that was snowed off, you know, which is obviously a different set of circumstances, but Tottenham were at Burnley when it was called off. The Leicester game in December, Tottenham were in their hotel in Leicester on the lunchtime of the day of the game when when that game called off. And then for this particular game, you know, they were training at Saturday. They were at the training ground getting ready, trying to prepare the game for the next day in the dark, really, until what, I think it was Saturday lunchtime when they finally got word from the Premier League that the game was off. And so this must be, I mean, I do feel more sorry for the fans and the players as it happens, but also for the players themselves and for the coaching staff, etc. it must be just a massive pain in the arse trying to get these trying to get yourself into mat, into kind of game mode and back out and then preparing for the Leicester game. You don't know if that's going to happen and all the rest of it. So it is just, yeah, it's, it's been a total shambles. And the stupid thing is Leicester's game at the weekend was also off because I think Burnley had a few cases yeah. and had to postpone. So both Spurs and Leicester, who will play midweek, <laughs> have, have not played this weekend because of COVID cases with the other team. That's the stupid irony of it, isn't it? They could have played at the weekend. Uh, let's take a break there and come back to the more mundane matters of Spurs' latest injuries, the possibility of any players going in or out during the transfer window, and we'll preview that Leicester match as well. You're listening to The View from the Lane. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 US-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is brought to you by Michelob Ultra, the official beer sponsor of the NBA. Want to get closer to the game than ever before? Michelob Ultra Courtside is giving fans the chance to win exclusive NBA prizes and experiences like official gear, courtside seats to an NBA game, and more. Head over to MichelobUltra.com courtside to learn more. Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard it right. You can talk to a real human in customer service anytime. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask me. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. This episode is supported by Season 3 of FX's Welcome to Wrexham. 
Celebrity owners Rob McElhenney and Ryan Reynolds' small-town Welsh football club has finally been promoted into League Two after 15 seasons in the National League. Dedicated staff and supporters celebrate the city's return to glory while bracing for the newfound challenges that come with being in a higher division. Will Wrexham AFC stand up to the challenges and rise again into League One? FX is welcome to Wrexham. Catch all new episodes Thursdays on FX. Stream on Hulu. Yeah, welcome back to View from the Lane. The voice you're hearing are me, Danny Kelly, Jack Pitbrook, and James Moore. Let's talk about Son Hyun Ming's injury. It has become a, a matter of mystery. Got any inside knowledge on this, Jack? How, where, who, what's happening with him? So basically, where the first leg of the Chelsea League Cup semi-final at uh, Stamford Bridge on the fifth of January. So Son was taken off with I think about fifteen minutes left, not feeling an injury, but just really to rest him because he played so much football and and all the games that Tottenham had coming up. The next day, so on the 6th of January, Son was scanned at Tottenham to reveal that he had what Conte's called a a kind of a a muscle problem. Hasn't said specifically which one, I don't think, but a a muscle injury that Conte expected would put him out for the rest of January. Obviously, since then, Son has... Son missed the Morecambe game, which he probably would would not have played anyway. And then, of course, the Chelsea second leg. Last time Conte spoke about this, he did leave open the possibility that maybe he'll be back at the end of the month. That would be the Chelsea game this coming Sunday, the twenty third. But I like the way you've sound- got your I like the way you've got your notes mic'd up so people can understand yeah. that you're researching this thing. That's very good. But yeah, I mean, I wouldn't expect to see him against Leicester this. Wednesday, assuming that game goes ahead, or to be honest, on Sunday, I think it's more likely that he would return to availability after the two-week break for the FA Cup fourth round against Brighton on Saturday, the 5th of Feb. So, second week of February? I think so, yeah. Okay, that, that's quite a long break then, is that's over a month out injured. That would some, be a month out. For somebody who didn't even limp off of the pitch. And um, what do they do about this, uh, James? Are you in favour of this playing two up front, so 3-5-2, given that Spurs don't have another out-and-out striker to play with Harry Kane and indeed have let a a youthful prospect in that position go to Blackburn this very day. Uh, Yeah, I mean, I would say the 3-5-2 is probably the way to go with or without Son in the short term. I just think that's a slightly slightly better system. And and, and acknowledging that you probably don't have UEFA coaching badges, do you want the person who plays with Kane to be right up front with him or slightly playing around him, slightly behind him? How do you want this to work? I think you probably want, well, what you would want Son is for him to be kind of buzzing around all around him and able to go beyond him and be played through one-on-one by Kane, right? Which I wouldn't say Lucas was as suited to as Son, but I think he's probably the best option of a squad to, to do that. So I think if you played Kane as your kind of point man and Lucas sort of being typically busy around him, that probably would seem like the best solution to that. Which takes us to the, the issue of Stephen Bergvine, who's the first of the transfer things I want to talk about. Because does Conte keep hinting that he thinks Bergvine, Jack, will make a, a striker? Yeah, Conte has often talked about Bergwijn as being an option as a number nine which I think is something that he could do. So was it the, the West Ham game just before Christmas where Bergwijn kind of played in, in that sort of role and proves himself, you know, he can, he can he's strong enough. He can hold the ball. He, not only is he very good dribbling, carrying the ball forward, he's also able, strong enough to hold the ball up in the box and link with other players running in, as he showed in that game. 
And he he is capable of scoring goals. I mean, his, his goal record, I think, is not as good as it should be, given how talented he is. But if he gets his confidence back, you can definitely see him scoring a few. Obviously, it's, you know, Bergwijn ha- has been injured recently, has also been the subject of a £15 million bid from Ajax. I, at the moment, I expect him to stay, although I don't, that situation could change. But yeah, if Bergwijn can get fully fit again, I think Conte would like the option of, of playing him up front. In the last 24 hours, Ajax have freed up both more cash and indeed a, pos- a position which Bergwijn could play with the sale of David Neres, I thought rather surprisingly, um, given how many yeah. clubs have admired him, to Shakhtar Donetsk. So I think Ajax will be back in for Bergwijn because otherwise why would they be letting Neres go? I'm not sure. Maybe. I do think the view, the view at Spurs is that one, like Ajax haven't offered enough money sure. for, for Bergwijn yet, but also they, Tottenham do think that Bergwijn would be quite hard to replace. You know, he can play up front or on the wing. He's got a fair bit of decent experience. He's dangerous. I don't think they, I don't think they think it's necessarily in their interest to let him go this month, even though he hasn't played an awful lot recently. Let's go then to something that, that seems to bother us every week on this program: the Indomali conundrum. Things have changed again, James. Now, I mean, again, insofar as not only is he making sporadic appearances for the first team, but he's not even training with them now. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's a fairly ominous sign, isn't it? I think of... Uh, what what was the term they used, Jack, to describe? I Sorry, Jack was, was telling me on the phone. Uh, I think it was specialised conditioning training. I mean, this is a relative of running around the park during the first lockdown with Jose Mourinho, is it? That was specialised oh, yeah. conditioning training as well, wasn't it? But presumably legal this time. Um, yeah, yeah, it's fairly Fair ominous, point. that isn't it? I think if you if you're sent to you're sent to train on your own after being hooked against Morecambe and not even being in the squad against Chelsea, um, obviously this would have ruled him out of contention to play against Arsenal if Arsenal could be bothered to play the game. But and you would suspect will mean he's very very unlikely to be involved against Leicester in midweek. Yeah, it doesn't it doesn't look great for him. It does kind of smack of a player being kind of kept in the fringes. Uh, on the off chance that a bid does come in in the next sort of 10, 12 days or whatever. My reading of this is that it's very, you know, it's, it's very easy for people to use fitness as a stick to beat Ndombele with. And, you know, there, there certainly have been points in the first year or two of his time at Tottenham where he wasn't fully fit, where he couldn't do 90 minutes. He had to get up to speed with the pace of the Premier League, all that. That's something that I think was certainly true for a while. But Ndombele's been fully fit for quite a while. You know, fitness was not the reason that Mason didn't pick him or that Nuno didn't pick him or that Conte hasn't been picking him. You know, the, when, when Conte came in in the end of October, early November, you know, there were quite a few Tottenham players who were not fully fit, but Ndombele was not one of them. You know, Ndombele is fit. My reading of this is that even though Tottenham are calling it specialised conditioning training, I think in <laughs> reality, I think it's more likely to be we don't really want you around here anymore. We're not. You're not part of Antonio's first team plans. And frankly, maybe it'd be better for, for everyone if you went off to a different club. Of course, in practice... But how finding can a, that happen with £200,000 a week uh, bleeding out of him? Well, I don't think Tottenham... Look, I don't know specifically, but I get the impression that Ndombele has... It's not just about whether or not Tottenham will be willing to do a deal with the club. Ndombele has to want to go as well. And I think Ndombele has very high expectations of the level of club that he would go to. At the start of the season, he was wanting to go to Bayern, Barca or Real Madrid. And I think that if Tottenham can kind of encourage Ndombele to maybe lower his sights a little little bit on a different level of club, 
then I think that might be a route to finding an acceptable outcome for everyone. But I don't think that they're not there yet on the 17th of January. Any sign, Jack, James, or anyone who can help me with this, any sign of any footballers arriving at Spurs? <laughs> ah, there's, there's a silence to speak volumes. I think they're more, I think it's more likely than not that they will end up signing Adama Traore. Uh, Traore, I gather, is still the number, the likeliest target to come in. Tottenham are working on trying to get a deal done. Wolves do want to sell him. Tottenham are trying to find a way to do it, whether or not that is even so, though even though Wolves are trying to say even though he got his first goal or assist in twenty three appearances. Yeah, uh, some people talk about the possibility of a loan with an obligation, and I do think that if Matt Doherty were to go back to Wolves, it would be slightly easier because that could be part of the deal. But so far, I haven't got any indication that that is actually going to happen even if Tottenham would like that to happen. So they're not there yet. I do think they'll get it over the line just because it does. it is ultimately a deal that suits all three parties and it would be a bit of a disaster not to sign anyone at all this month. But yeah. they're not there yet. It's not something before. <laughs> no, indeed not. I wish I could give the Spurs fans a bit more uh, news about incoming transfers, but if Jack don't know, nobody knows. So we'll, we'll have to wait and see what happens there. Let's talk about Leicester then. That's coming up as well. A difficult one to call this because Leicester have been in kind of up and down form and haven't played for a while. And Spurs, much as I was angry about the two games against Chelsea, that's not been the median of their form, has it, James? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I was... Well, I mean, we were looking at that Piers Morgan tweet over the weekend where he suggested that on current league form, Arsenal reserves would beat Spurs, which, you know, if that's the case... Bear in mind he's a moron, yeah? But I, uh, yeah, yeah, quite. If that's the case, one, play the game. And two, I mean, Spurs are unbeaten under Conte in the Premier League. which But I they haven't played Arsenal's reserves, goes, to be fair to, to they, Piers, yeah. That is true. They haven't faced the ultimate test. So yeah, that does that does seem quite, you know, that is kind of incongruous with the kind of vibes at the moment, isn't it? That they're eight, eight unbeaten and they've won, what, five, six of those five? Yeah. So yeah, they're actually they're in reasonably good nick in the league. Actually, to to be they? fair, <laughs> those vibes have been largely created by me and you doing our nut here on the podcast. Uh, the negative yeah. vibes were caused by you and I. Yeah, that is true. Yeah. That is true. So we're past we that now. We're, 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 try, you know, we're trying to, to look forward to the Sunday Uplands of the second half of the season, playing four games in a week to qualify for the uh, Europa League. And we'll see what happens. Jack, what do you think will happen against Leicester? Uh, or is, is this kind of speculation anathema to a man of your standing? Well, I, I don't know what's going to happen. No. But I do think that it's not necessary. I don't think it's... for As much as we complained about the postponement, and I do think the postponement as I said on Twitter the other day, I think it is a scandal that a game could be called off under those circumstances. An opinion that has seen many Arsenal fans send me messages on Twitter accusing me of all sorts of things. I do think it's not necessarily that in, that bad for Tottenham to not be playing right now, in part because they're not playing well. Like Tottenham haven't really played well since Boxing Day. No, they're stumbling along, aren't they? Yeah, I th- you know, both plays against Chelsea, Morecambe, Watford. They're a bit unlucky against Saints. So... And they've got a lot of players out who hopefully will be back soon. You know, Regulon's had a problem. Son is out at the moment. Romero's still on his way back. Dyer was out and then had a, another muscle problem, which is what, you know, obviously a big part of why Tottenham haven't been very good recently. So if Tottenham can get good players back soon, like Conte in the press conference the other day, like the main story at the press conference was Conte three times, like Peter denying Jesus, three times <laughs> refusing to give a refusing to give assurances that he will see out his contract. I saw that. But um, amid that, he also said, it's, 
you know, it's a matter of life for Tottenham getting their top players back. You know, Conte is very, very dependent on these guys. Son, Dyer, Romero, Regulon. If they can just get one or two of those guys back for this game and the Chelsea game, then I think it's kind of a different prospect. What they won't want to do is keep playing big games, frankly, with Doherty and Tanganga in the team. Well, to be honest, they, 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 they've had options other than playing Matt Doherty in a position where he clearly is utterly, utterly unused to and not good enough with his left foot to play that position. So that some of that is down to Conte as well. There are always options. You don't have to, You can play with a back four and play Davis at left back, where um, much criticised as he used to be as a backup to Danny Rose, compared to watching Matt cutting inside onto his right foot and slowing down every single attack, I still think he would be a better option. I have to say, I do feel a bit of a at the moment mm-hmm. because he's it's yeah, widely... Yeah, go easy. Come on, mate. We're trying to sell this guy. Pick him up. <laughs> Tottenham are trying to move him. He's played the last three games. The fans are getting on his back. I thought the fans were on his back a lot in the, the Chelsea second leg last week. You know, maybe I don't especially blame the fans for that. That's just part of football. And he was out of position trying to play. I mean, to be honest, in that game, at times Tottenham were more in a sort of 4-4-2. Doherty was playing out, out wide on the left. And given that he's not left-footed and not really that quick, it seemed, you know, a very a very square peg in a very round hole. So I do feel a bit for him at the moment. And But clearly, if they get Regulon or even Sessegnon in that position, then they'll be able to open up the pitch a bit more. We shouldn't forget, by the way, when we're talking about that Leicester game, that Leicester, having talked about injuries at other clubs, Leicester actually do have quite a lot of injuries. I mean, they'll probably have, and a couple of players at AFCON as well, they'll probably have six or seven players at least missing. I mean, I'm not saying that means Spurs are gonna gonna walk over walk over them, but I, you know, it's gotta increase the chances of Spurs winning slightly, sure. Oh, and that's why given the events of the last uh, two, three days, I have absolutely no confidence that this game at Leicester going ahead. Why wouldn't Leicester if somebody if somebody tests positive in the next couple of, of days say we just don't have enough players to fulfil this fixture? I hope they can do and I hope they do do and I hope all of their players, officials and supporters stay well, obviously. Um, but we're in a we're, we're through the looking glass here, people, as we started the show by saying The reason they might be reluctant is because they also have only played 18 Premier League games. Yeah. And if this game got postponed again, they would have a similar problem to Spurs and they're still in Europe and the FA Cup as well. It's like the thing that fans always say, which is, you know, uh, we might be getting linked with a player, but I'll only really believe that he's signing when I see him <laughs> holding, the club's, holding the club's scarf on the website. That's weirdly now how I feel about fixtures in the sense yeah. that I might have Leicester versus Tottenham written down in my diary, but I won't believe it's happening until I see Hugo Lloris leading out 11 Spurs players at 7 And the referee grabbing the ball off that ridiculous yeah, podium. That's, the, yeah. when I see that's the, the moment. Grab the ball on the pedestal. That's when I think, yes, Leicester City versus Tottenham Hotspur is actually happening. But until then, it's just a kind of, you know, uh, like a promise. Yeah, and even then, as the referee grabs the football off the pedestal, one of the Spurs or Leicester players could, uh, as often happens, twist a knee um, bef- between the pedestal and the kickoff and suddenly the appeal will be going in to the Premier League to have the game abandoned. It's been a laugh, gentlemen. Thank you very much indeed. And if you're not already a subscriber to The Athletic, you can read all of our articles on Spurs and everything else on the site by going to theathletic.com forward slash Spurs pod. And right now you can get 33% off a full subscription. We'll be back on Thursday. Thank you for listening. Thanks to James and thanks to Jack. As I say, hopefully there'll be an actual football match for us to discuss. The Athletic.